Howdy, 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 everybody, and welcome back to the weekly dose of Euphoria podcast. My name is Matt Sapala for any new listeners out there, and welcome to the show. And for you weekly listeners, thank you for your support. I hope you keep killing it, legends. This week, I have a special treat for you guys. I was fortunate enough to sit down and chat with Australian actor Clint Facey. However, the purpose of our chat wasn't to highlight his acting career. It was much deeper than that. Clint's life turned upside down when he was diagnosed with testicular cancer at a young age. He was then influenced into taking the traditional route to eliminate the cancer from his body, and that was Western medicine. After having the surgery removing the cancer, he had an epiphany and realized within himself that he'd made the wrong decision. He denied chemotherapy and took an alternate route to healing his mind, body and soul, and that was through Eastern medicine, in particular through fasting. Clint discusses his journey in depth through today's episode. Now Clint and I chatted for three and a half hours and no doubt we could have dove deeper into conversation, but I had to pull the pin somewhere. For the purpose of this episode, I've decided to split it up into part one and part two of the podcast, giving you guys the opportunity to get as many points of information as possible. Clint's story is incredible and he's such an inspirational and influential man doing incredible things for holistic medicine. He dedicates his time educating and inspiring people about the benefits of fasting, but more importantly, inspires people to take control of their health. So guys, grab yourself a pen and paper because you're definitely going to need it during this episode. So this is part one, guys, and part two will be released next week. So that's enough from me. Over to you, Clint, for part one of your journey. Clint Facey, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast, mate. Awesome to have you on board. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Just to paint the picture for you guys, we're currently overlooking the Esplanade in St. Kilda. I can just see the Ferris wheel um, from Luna Park, sipping our teas, and we're pumped to get into this podcast talking about Clint's uh, amazing fasting journey, where it all began, and how he got into holistic health. So I'm pumped to get into that. But first, Clint, tell us what life was like for you growing up. Did you play any sports? What was your school life like? Yeah, it was uh, your pretty typical standard Australian life where you grew up, you were playing sport. Um, high school was no different. I was in, the, obviously, the league team and played a lot of league. Um, even when I was like 16 years of old age, you know, we won the grand final playing league. Unfortunately, I stayed the same size and the boys all got bigger and I got knocked out like three, four times in that season. And I was like, all right, for my health, I think I'd better probably not get knocked out again and not become like a boxer. So <laughs> stop that and uh, started doing, you know, a different kind of uh, path, but always running around as a kid and never stopping always had still and so much energy to burn too yeah definitely i can tell just walking through the door with you you've given off these amazing vibes and it's making me feel so welcome and creating an awesome environment for this podcast clint and just for my melbourne listeners which are not familiar with rugby league because cricket and footy are the two dominant sports yeah that's over in new south wales am i correct yeah of course absolutely awesome yeah and um what was school life like for you were you always quite the academic person no, in fact, I was the sporty guy who wanted to join the SAS Army. <laughs> and then I, I examined my heart and realized that it was not joining the Army because you can't 
tell your friends where you're going, your family where you're going, when you'll be back, what time. There's nothing like that. And I'm a very social person. So I realized I like the idea of playing the SAS soldier and James Bond, but found out the real truth was I just want to pretend I'm James Bond. So I listened to my heart and acting was calling me. So it kind of chose me. Fantastic. Um, and if I had to choose, I, I wish I wouldn't choose it. It'll be a lot easier life sometimes to constantly do an audition and be like, oh, you're second place, you know, to all these amazing projects. Um, but I would not have changed a decision in my life one iota. Fantastic. Let's talk about your acting career before we move on. So sure, where, yeah, did it cool. all, where did it all begin for you? Uh, when I was 17 years of age in year 11 in high school, um, I was in year 10 to year 11, the summer break. And then I was hanging out with a friend and his brother who was, um, you know, well popular and known. And then he kind of inspired me to just listen to my own truth. And that's when I thought, you know what? No, my truth is, is not the army guy. And I love the social people. And that's what I really like. So in that summer break, I decided I'm doing acting. Um, you know what? It's year 11 in high school this is when I get to do it right I don't want to do the other topics anymore that doesn't interest me anymore so I marched on day one right to the office of the school and I went right I'm going to change my subjects but you can't but this but this but this I'm like no nah, I'm doing it if if I can't then I might as well leave this school what do you want me to do well <laughs> and they went alright we'll, we'll give you a position <laughs> the class is full I'm like make another class What's the point of this school if I can't help me then? Amazing. So yeah, they did. And um, that started the acting journey for me. I had a great teacher and he just inspired and encouraged and nurtured the creativeness in all of us. So I was creative at that time and well, I still am, I'd like to think. And it just led down the path of creating things and then being able to... Being able to... to uh, to get a message across to someone was awesome. To tell a story and then make an emotional reaction in the audience member was just awesome. So then that led down the path of going to NIDA in a, another the next year's summer break and doing a short course there. Um, and then the following year when I was in year 12, I auditioned for, in the summer break again, for the Young Actors Studio in NIDA which is New South Wales National Institute of Dramatic Art. It's where Mel Gibson, Kate Blanchett were, came from. And, and so I was accepted. And to my very first audition, to my very first school ever of Mel Gibson's school, and I felt so privileged. And it was fantastic because it opened the door to what this career can be. And I was just inspired. And I thought, this is nice. This is who I am. I was lighting up as a soul. And so I just continued down that path and just said, all right, let's see how far I can take this. And then once you go down the rabbit hole, you, you don't come out. If you truly listen to your heart. Now, unfortunately, so many people can do acting for several reasons of, I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to be successful. I want to be known. But I think like my old acting teacher, Billy Milionos says, he goes, you know, real acting is just taking two actors a chair as a prop and having the audience on the edge of their seat for an hour and a half. I think that's real acting. That's real moments and planting seeds and ideas and messages in the audience, which makes them a better person when they leave the audience. 
Definitely. Well, that's the hope anyway. Amazing, dude. And and what opportunities did you get to to go down that route and what sort of movies and shows did you star in? Well, I wouldn't say so much it's, um, you know, opportunities I received. I, I definitely had to do the work. Mm-hmm. I had to take action, get an agent, uh, get photos, get the, you know, um, auditions again to, in front of a, a, an agency to say, you know, yeah, you can use me. And I did all that stuff. And then, you know, in time, they'd put you up for auditions and they would, um, you know, send just to some castings. And if you're lucky enough to get chosen for a few acting jobs, um, and it is, it's luck. You know, like I'm 20 years deep in this industry now and um, any and Dustin Hoffman says it, anyone who believes you don't have a bit of luck to get where I'm at, you're dreaming. And and that's been the truth. And you're like, I've worked my ass off and not gotten roles when I was the best auditioner for that project by far. And yet I've also sucked in auditions. Absolutely blown it, screwed everything up and I've um, got the job. So you, sometimes you got to have a little bit of luck. So I was lucky enough to get a few acting roles and it just became like a bloodthirst. I'm like, this is so cool. And then seeing the projects afterwards just became even cooler. It's like, I did, the, I helped create that? Isn't that awesome? And so it's a great tool and vehicle to get messages a, across. And so I'm just really privileged to be an actor that has an intention that want to that wants to help the world and if i could help the world a little bit um and what my my ultimate goal is obviously to i want to raise the consciousness of humanity i want to be able to make a movie that has a nice little subliminal message in there that that will maybe potentially make one guy go home and not hit his wife or another woman go home and call her mum. Or another dad go home and play with his kids. If I can, you know, plant messages like that in movies, I think the world will be a better place. And obviously the world needs more movies. And it's the number one form of getting messages out to the world, I think. Because it hits an emotional level. And so great acting does that. It hits you emotionally. Definitely. And only emotions will have a bigger effect than lessons in a university or, you know, teachings from a book. Wow, I love that influential people are creating messages and, and spreading messages about positivity and, and trying to change the stigma around things. And you, you're doing an amazing thing and your mission is definitely amazing, Clint. So I'd love to support you in any way possible, mate. Keep it up, that's for sure. And just to wrap this in a bow, what sort of movies and commercials and shows were you involved in? Yeah, I've done a few movies. One was uh, like a horror film. Another one's been a, last year was a, a love drama called Sorellian Blue by Adrian Ortega. Um, beautiful, gorgeous film. And my friend Jack, who I did a commercial with back in Sydney, was the lead actor of that. We both went for the, the same role, but he was far better suited for that role, and I'm glad that he got that role. And, um, and, and another film I've done is uh, Horizons Crossing. Um, I haven't seen that one yet, actually. Sometimes it's so hard as an actor. You do all this work, and you want to see your footage, and... It, it just goes. You don't know where to see it anymore. You don't yeah. know how to get your hands on it. Yeah. What? Just a little quick question. What does? What's it like watching yourself? When I was young in my career, and when I say young, I mean up to like 35, sometimes like 32, it's very awkward. You don't like your voice. You don't like the way you look. Why can't I be six inches taller? 
you know, if I if I want to be, you know, the career trajectory path I want, I, you know, change it. You just want to change a few things. But as you got old, as I get older now, and I know myself, and I own myself in my body, I realize no, I'm perfect. The way I am, my body is exactly as it needs to be. What is more important than just physical looks or how I sound is definitely your message. Fantastic your point. Your intention man. behind why you do what you do. Because anyone can say, I love you. But only those with a pure intention is it felt emotionally. Yeah. Dude, I'm getting goosebumps from that, to be honest. That's <laughs> honestly incredible. Um, wow. That was amazing the things that you've been able to accomplish and going to continue to accomplish with the platform that you've created were you all always interested in health and wellness growing up and what sort of sparked that decision to to journey down that route yeah i suppose since high school playing footy i i'd always still play touch football and even when i was entering to the adult workforce and you know 18 years of age i'd play team touch football um, tag football etc and run go to the gym i'd always just be curious about my body and curious about how i can push it to its limits i'd be an adrenaline junkie so i'd go i've been skydiving bungee jumping you know you do your whitewater rafting like all of the activities the only things i haven't done yet is um base jumping yet so definitely on the bucket list yeah it's definitely on the bucket list love it yeah and what sort of foods were featuring on your plate growing up Ah, mum and dad's sad diet, a standard Australian diet, which is uh, meat and three veg. And so I grew up with that and a luxury might be going out for Chinese takeaway or um, a pizza, for example. Wow. And did you ever, for once, growing up, stop to think where the food on your plate came from or or how the nutrition's impacting your performance? Not until I was well older. And so when I was about... 27, 28 years of age, I went to the Australian Institute of Sport to learn more about health and my body because I was going to the gym and I was bench pressing and lifting and pulling myself up pound for pound more than anyone else my size and weight. And I only, like at the time, I was only weighing around about 66 kilos, 67 kilos. Um, But I could bench press about 100. Wow. and the Australian Institute of Sport were like, all right, calories in versus calories out. You have an ectomorph body type, so you need to punch those calories in. I'm like, how am I going to do that? They said, you need your high fats, your high carbs, and your high proteins. I'm like, Jesus. So going to the gym and eating became a full-time job almost. Definitely. Where I was eating like five, six times a day. I was um, having meat 21 times a week. Wow. So I went from like, 66 up to 75 kilos when I was uh, about 28 and I felt good I achieved a goal I'm like fantastic but it was meat every single meal and high fats and so much food where my digestive system was struggling to just operate it's like I just can't do it anymore (laughs) and um and fascinatingly that after that kind of stint, I, I hit my target of 75 kilos and then it went back down. Um, I trimmed down again and, and then all of a sudden, uh, I, think that, I think that was in 2009, middle of 2009, the end of 2009, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. So that was a big slap in the face or blessing as I now call it 
to find out what real health was because I was doing what the experts said I should do. I was having my protein powders. I was having my food intake. I was playing team sport. I was going to the gym. I was getting massaged. I was doing yoga. I was doing stretching. I was doing everything according to all the experts all correct. And I still got that cancer. So I'm just like, nah, something in this mathematics equation doesn't add up. Wow. That's honestly amazing, dude. And I, I had no idea about that. And obviously that sparked your, your interest in holistic health. And, and mm. what were the emotions going through through your brain at, the, at that point in time when you were listening to all the esper- experts telling you that this is the right way to go and you were still um, falling down that ill health path? Yeah, mate, I was on my meat diet back then, meat and three veggies and I was working at a bar and a nightclub so I was having plenty of steaks and schnitzels and I remember uh, first self-diagnosing it because on the radio in the morning they'd be like, oh ladies, it's breast check day once a month and so check your breasts. And so in back in those days of 2009, there was sometimes a, um, a small, like not like, like it is today in 2019, but a very small... Um, hey boys you should also check yourself too so I did I would once a month you know check my balls and you know I thought okay this is how they should feel and then in December or November of 2009 that was when I was like hmm one seems to be a little bit harder than the other one hmm must have been from a big weekend I had okay cool I'll I'll monitor that and come back to that uh, in a little while Next week later, I check it again, and I'm like, oh, it's still hard. Hmm, it wasn't swollen, it wasn't sore, just hard. That's all I can describe it as. And I thought, still hard. Oh, maybe it was from Oztag, and I copped a, a knock in that area, and then with like someone's knee almost hit me there, so maybe that was it or something, you know, whatever. And then a week later again, it was harder still. And I'm just like, oh, I know what it was from. It was from... Uh, uh, I won't say on the podcast. <laughs> and and so I thought, all right, I'll, one more week and it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. And it was still hard the following week later. So I'm like, yeah, nah, probably probably should have gone back to normal by this stage. So I made an appointment with a doctor, uh, my, my GP. And by the time I got to him, because the appointment was like a week later, I couldn't get in to see him beforehand. He rocks up and he goes, uh, what are you here for? And I'm like, I can't remember. I don't know. Just give me the once over while I'm here then. And he goes, all right, cool. And he did blood pressure. He checked everything. And he goes, mate, you're a fighting bill of health. You're doing awesome. I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks. And then just as I walk out the door and just as he is about to close the door, I stick my foot in the door and I said, oh, I remember now. Is it normal to have a harder testicle than the other? He's like, get back in the room. And then we check it. We go to the ultrasound and the... (laughs) very poorly English speaking woman or definitely something there. (laughs) And that was my first moment that freaked me the fuck out. Um, That was when I got nervous for the first time in years. I couldn't tell you how long. And the emotion was uncertainty. I had no idea what it was and I had no idea why it was like that. But if something's there in your balls as a dude, as a young 28 year old, male like you're in your prime of your life you're invincible you're strong you're powerful you've got focus determination and now this is like a whoa 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 
So they sent the results off to the doc and they said, you need to go to a specialist. I immediately went to the beach. <laughs> I'm like, I need to get my head around this. I need to check in with myself to see how this feels. So went to the specialist maybe a few days later and he's like, doom and gloom, right? You need to have this testicle out now. I'm 99% sure that it's testicular cancer. If you don't, it's going to spread to your brain. It's going to spread to your lungs, spread to your lymph glands. You'll be dead in six months. And he just looks at me with this. So is next Monday good for you? And I just went, fuck no. Uh, yeah, yeah, what the fuck? No. I'm the healthy dude. I go to the gym. I do all the right things. This doesn't happen to dudes like me. This happens to dude who smoke pot and who are uh, you know, eating KFC all day long. So no chance, man. And he's like, all right, take your time. Take the weekend, but call me up on the, on the Monday and we'll see where we're at where I can fit you in. And he was giving me that whole like Lance Armstrong death schedule. You know, if you don't do what we say, we're going to, you know, you're going to lose your life. And so mum was immediately freaking the hell out. And that was the worst day of my life where the doctor was just completely, you know, putting that fear of authority into me. And I didn't like it one bit, one iota whatsoever. So I went away, went back to my GP and I'm just like, yeah, no, I need some other guy. I need more opinions. I said, yeah, cool. Go to this guy. So I went to another specialist who wasn't so doom and gloom. He goes, yeah, nah, you can, you know, take a few weeks to think about this. But uh, eventually in January, yeah, you're going to need to have that out. Otherwise it will spread. But, you know, yeah, you got your three weeks. And I'm like, well, I want to go to Byron Bay and chill, relax. I want to heal this myself because... I read this beautiful book called Brandon Bay's The Journey and she healed herself of a basketball-sized tumor in six weeks. And I was like, all right, well, if she can do that, I can do that. And what I said to myself, because over the three weeks, the pressure just piled and piled on from my family and friends. Have it out. You're killing yourself, Clint. No, you can't. You're suiciding. You've got to do what the doctor says. Otherwise, you'll be dead. Do you really want to throw your dreams away? Do you really want to throw your life away? And I just felt alone and isolated. And even from my parents where no one had my back. And I remember my dad having that croak in his voice, kind of like what I had right now. And that was my trigger point to go, all right. I don't want to put my parents, I don't want to put my dad through suffering. So I'll, I'll do it. And so I yielded to the surgery, had the testicle removed. And that was the, or the second worst day of my life was having to deposit sperm for the sperm bank because you don't know if there's any complications, if they discover there's a cancer on the second testicle, they might need to take that one out. Or if you have chemotherapy and your sperm is destroyed for life and you want to have kids, save them now. And knowing that you have to, you know, uh, masturbate in order to, to save your sperm when you've got this cloud of death around you is like, I can't do this. But for somehow I just summoned some sort of strength that I had left in me because I was taxed. I was taxed emotionally. I was taxed physically. Everything about my life was just empty. And I'm like, all right, I got to do it for the sake of, you know, the future. So I did it anyway. So I go into the, the surgery booked in and the doctor 
pats me on the shoulder and he says, you're doing the right thing. I said, hurry the fuck up before I change my mind. <laughs> so I was put under, I'm listening to this beautiful music and I come out and then as soon as I wake up, I realized I'd done the wrong thing. I shouldn't have had it out. I should not have had my testicle out at all. My intuition, which was listening to my own body of going down a health path was correct. I actually got another ultrasound just before the x-ray, uh, the, the surgery, um, to see if the tumor had grown anymore. And at the time, it actually shrunk by one mil. But in my head, I needed a bigger improvement than that because I had three weeks to heal myself and Brandon Bays had six weeks, so I should have halved the size as well too. And a friend said, look, you can go down this path, but you're taxed already emotionally and physically go the path of least resistance. So I did that. But anyway, long story short, I woke up knowing it was the wrong thing to do and I should have um, um, just taken more time because the problem that most people have with cancer these days is they have their death diagnosis. Oh, here's your tumor. Here's your markers. Here's your blood. Here's your x-ray. Here's your you know, spotted everywhere throughout your body. You need it out today. And most people want to heal a disease that day. You can't have seven, 10, 20 years of building up these toxicities and tumors in your body and remove them for one day. There has to be a reverse plan, which is gonna take time. And that's why I knew in my heart of hearts that I did the wrong thing after I had that surgery. But now, today, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. The biggest blessing because it's pushed me you know, into the direction of what real health is. And then I just decided to head on down that path because just only three weeks after that surgery, um, a lot of Googling and YouTubing and all this stuff for some reason down that rabbit hole led me to a man called Don Tolman. And someone said, oh, he's a bit extreme, but he gets good results. So luckily for me, I was in, um, he was in Sydney. He was coming to Sydney like just not long after that. And so he he did a three hour presentation where he spoke what real health is, what real vitality is. And every fiber in my DNA lit up. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. This is exactly what my body felt, but just didn't know how to articulate. And he spoke with the exact words of what real health is. And I was crying in the back row with my brother and I look at my bro in my eyes. I'm like, this is why I didn't want to have the surgery. And he looks at me with his eyes just said, I'm sorry, I didn't know how to help you. And, but long story short, I've been following him and now a mentor uh, to me, Don Tolman is, and his son, Tyler Tolman, um, are just geniuses in this health industry. So. I refused chemotherapy and the doctor said, I'm going to suicide from that. <laughs> I laughed and I refused all treatments after that. I said, nope, you don't get that anymore. I'm not on your agenda. Um, if you want to be a doctor, you actually have to study death and disease. If you want to be healthy, you should follow healthy, vibrant pe people and principles of health. And Don talked about the principles of health. And I went, that makes so much sense. So I went down that path and I've been doing that for 10 years now. What are we now, 2009? Yeah, well, just, un, just, un, just under 10, nine years. And I've never felt better in my life. I still hit the tennis court today 
and I'm beating dudes that are like 22, 23 years old. Like I'm no, you know, um, Roger Federer, even though I might pretend I am on the court. <laughs> but when I know that I've got the energy to outlast them and, and, I, and I can bring that intensity. In fact, I'm bringing more intensity most of the time. It's so enlivening to feel that my practically vegan diet and a mentality, of course, is, is fascinating because I'm 37. Shouldn't I be getting older and slower and all that stuff right now? But no, I've, I've maintained this health now for close to 10 years. And in fact, it's even getting better now that I've been fasting for 30 days. And in fact, I hit the tennis court last Wednesday night and I had, what day juices was it? I think it was just day five of juices at that point. No, it doesn't matter. Wasn't it the day after the yeah, first I, day of juices, was it? Or no, was... no, no, no. Because I'd water, water fasted for 20 days. And then you were still in Byron for a couple, weren't you? That's right. Yeah. I came back on the Wednesday afternoon and straight to tennis. And then I played. So I was on maybe day Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, five days. Regardless, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And so I hit the tennis court and um, yeah, and I won. Wow. So, yeah, I've done it before. Like, this fast number is actually number 16 for me. Wow. I've counted every single one of them, and I've learned something new about my body every single time. And fasting, like Don Tolman has talked about, and Tyler Tolman continues to talk about, is the single biggest thing anyone can do for their health. Whether it's intermittent fasting, whether it's a one-day juice fast, a one-day water fast or an extended fast like I've done, you know, over seven days of juice or water. So I needed to do this fast before the age of Aquarius enters into the doorway, which Don talks about being January 26, 2020. 20 days water, 20 days juice, 2020. The energy of the world is shifting. And we all know that song, you know, this is the dawn or the age of Aquarius. And there's this beautiful movie out there called zeitgeist the greatest story ever told but you know it goes into religion but the principle behind that is it's all got to do with star signs and the world shifting in our solar system around the milky way galaxy and the religions are nothing more nothing less than just a manifestation of the star signs for example we're entering into the age of aquarius which is the water bearer and we've just exited the age of Pisces. If you notice, Pisces in a religious form is represented by Jesus. He was a fisherman, a fisher of men. You see on the back of certain Christians' cars where they are, have, you know, Jesus fish symbol. Yeah. And before the Christians, there was the Jewish, and there still is the Jewish now, of course, but the Jewish uh, predominant religion back in those, you know, before um, Christ, of course, you know, zero BC, um, back 2000 years before that was um, the Jews and the Jewish blow the ram's horn, which is the age of Aries. And before that, you remember Moses coming down from the mountain with the tablets and he saw his people worshipping a golden bull? That was the age of Taurus. So what is the age of Aquarius? Water bearers. What is a water bearer? It's not a new um, prophet coming down onto earth and saving mankind from all our sins. No. A water bearer is your oranges, your apples, your watermelons, your celeries, your vegetarian diets. Because a watermelon houses water. That is a bearer of water. 
and it's an offering from Mother Nature to us to enrich and enlive our lives. Wow. Anyway, I just ranted for about no, 20 minutes. I'm so glad you went down that hole because it's so intriguing. I'm sitting here, I'm forgetting that I actually have to run this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just too intrigued by, by the topics that you're talking about, Clint. And I just want to backtrack a little bit. And I love the point that you said about Western medicine and how their approach is coming from fear. And it's never really, uh, this, is your, this is your chips that you've been dealt Let's try and find the best way possible to suit you. It's these are the trips you've been dealt. This is the best option. Go forward. Whereas in Eastern medicine, they take a more calm approach and, and appreciate what you've been given, and then try and find a, a solution that's going to suit you in a in a happy from a happy positive place. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel the world has lost the notion of taking time. In our Western culture these days, we are all told to rush off to work and rush off to your agenda so you can make some money and you can come home and then finally reward yourself with maybe a beer. <laughs> but the Eastern culture is very taking time for yourself. Like the Western culture is very, oh, if you're not doing anything, you're wasting time. But the Eastern culture is like, no, no, you're taking time to be still. Hence why I started getting into meditation. It's just supreme. Meditation is a game changer for anyone's life. I don't care whether you're doing any form of meditation, but if you are just being still, that is fantastic physically for the body. Number one, it puts you in the parasympathetic nervous system. So therefore rest and digest is allowing to occur. And these days, what are people doing? They're feeding their face full of foodless foods and rushing off, not allowing the digestive system to properly digest any food, which is why we see every year there's more cancer, not less. Every year there's more diabetes, not less. And every year there is more heart attacks and heart disease, not less. Yet in 2019, we have more weapons of war, more toxic pharmaceutical drugs, more um, experts telling us how to do X, Y, Z, but we see more, more, more. Doesn't that mean that the diseases are winning this war. So when do we need to stop, take the notion of time, lay down all the weapons, go back to mother nature and reverse all of that. Like we should be the healthiest critters on this planet with all our supplements and pills and capsules, but we're not. Especially America where they're diagnosing kids ADHD like candy and they're just handing them all these Ritalin tablets and now that the new drugs are all these hormone replacements and suppressants for the transgender community, and now I've got nothing against that. I'm just saying, but why are we giving them drugs at that age? As Don Tolman says, a beautiful metaphor, if I was to take a, a drug and put it in my system, there is only effects. There is no such thing as side effects. It's an effect on the body. If I was to take a plane and drop an atomic bomb on Melbourne and I get all the buildings, that's my intention, but I happen to kill all the people as well, the pharmaceutical company said, no, 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 our intention was to kill the buildings. We got all, the, we flattened all the buildings. The side effect was some people had to die too. It's, it's just effects. So when it's ludicrous putting, when you put it in that way, isn't it? When we put these drugs in kids with smaller immune systems and you know everything's more sensitive then they're being exposed to a greater risk of effects and then we see more health challenges later on down the path 
Hence why we're seeing more and more diseases over time and distance. Wow. Clint, amazing dude. And I know we could end up in a rabbit hole conversation talking about this for hours and hours on end, but I really want to get into the nitty gritty stuff about fasting and where the journey 10 years ago began for you. What, what was first? Yeah. So it was the inspiration from the Tolmans once again, that was talking all about it. And I'm a seeker. I love seeking, you know, truth, a truest truth the highest truth that one could ever possibly know, which goes into your heart of hearts, where no one can ever can convince you otherwise. For me, no one can ever convince me that fasting is not healthy for you. Now, I'm not saying starving, I'm saying fasting. So it's done with the right way and the right protocols. So I learned that if I wanna be healthy, I have to study health and be health. So I learned from ancients, Socrates, Hippocrates, Plato, Pythagoras, And Pythagoras and Plato said, I fast 10 days on water for mental clarity and efficiency. So that got me curious. And then another curious thing was those geniuses that I just mentioned, plus Einstein, Tesla, um, um, all, all these guys, all these geniuses were all vegetarians. And I went, huh, all of them, huh? You know, not not every single one on this planet that we ever call a genius these days, but a fair good chunk of them. So I thought, well, if they're geniuses, it's for a damn good reason. Let me investigate that. Let me just try it out. So in 2012 is when I decided to pull the trigger. And I thought, right, let's do this vegetarian thing. And my last meal ever was on Christmas, uh, meat ever, was Christmas Day 2012. For family tried to convince me to have some meat. It's Christmas, come eat. And I was steering away from it. So I just had to slowly cut down. Like I tried to be a vegetarian four times and failed it. So I had to um, um, learn how to cut down the meat. Um, and then over like learning health, like the ancients and their wisdom, they talked about fasting and then more and more talked about it. So I thought, well, you can read a thousand books on how to swim, but you'll never know until you get in the water. So I thought, let's do it. Let's do a week long juice fast. And I did it. And it was one of the most profound things I've done in my life. What I felt, there was a lot of detox things that came up. I had flu-like symptoms. I was sniffling. I felt sore in my body and weak. But now after more education, I learned that's just toxins coming out. It's coming out of the body. So then you can eliminate it. And then when I just felt better again, like after the flu symptoms pass, it was like day five for me. I felt reborn, a new man, a new energy, a new vitality, which I'd never felt before in my life. So I'm like, all right, this is, this is good. I'm getting, as the you know metaphor says again, getting the water to swim. I'm like, I'm going for another swim. So I invested in a cold press juicer and I was like, right, I mean, let's fast. And so since 2012, 13, I can't even remember the exact date. Yeah. I'm up to fast number 16. Unbelievable. And just backtracking a little bit for the listeners who may not be familiar with fasting or what it means to be in a fasted state, can you explain that for us? Yeah, the word fasting comes from the old medieval time of to hold fast, to strengthen. So when you are fasting from things that causes your digestive system activation, you are strengthening the body. And each time you eat food you are breaking the fast. So 
I want to strengthen the body, strengthen the digestive system, the immune system. So you withhold from all food what to you know whatsoever. So people ask me, so no eating. I'm like, that's correct, no eating. But not even an apple. It's like not even a bite of an apple. And they said, well, what do you eat? I said, nothing. You don't eat for seven days. And they just went, whoa, I don't know if I can do that because it's such a mind over matter thing as well. So it's fasting literally comes back to strengthening the body. Wow, incredible. And you touched on it before. What does break a fast? Or if you're in a fasted state, what would break a fast? I know these days that we can get all these drinks that contain numerous amount of calories. Do they break a fast as well? Or is it just physically chewing foods? No, it's a good question you ask that. And a lot of people need to know this. It's things that are going to activate organs of your digestive system. But you might say the skin's an organ. You might say the, um, the brain is an organ, but digestive organs. So a shot of coffee, even though it's a liquid, will activate the adrenals and kidneys. So coffee's off the, off the table. Um, it's an interesting one because I know through my research as well, you, you see these articles that say co- black coffee is fine, anything that contains less than 50 calories. So it's awesome to see this perspective as well. Go yeah, on. Yeah, well, we, in, in a fasting state of you know the rest, the digestion, for example, why would I want to activate exactly. any organ? Imagine your digestive system being a, um, a shop that's open uh, 20, 20 hours a day. And the workers are there, your digestive system, uh, the organs, stomach, for example, colon. And customers are coming in all day, every day. You're feeding yourself. You're eating, you're eating, you're eating. After 20 years, that's some cobwebs and chipped paint and creaky doors slowly start to get into this body of yours of the shop and and get old and creaky so imagine for a second the owner shuts the doors down so no customers to, can get in but then the workers stay on and they repaint the store they oil up all the creaks they fix the floor they make it a brand new store again and so when the doors are open again and you start eating again the organs have had like a one week rest period to breathe and get some more circulation and blood flow and refresh themselves and have that break. And so that's why we have the word break fast, you know, breakfast. We are breaking the fast. You are breaking the, you know, the, the, the strengthening period. So if you were to activate with, um, uh, like a, a black tea, that's gonna activate the digestive system a little bit as well. Um, like if you have anything sugary, that's gonna activate it as well too. Uh, and when I say sugary, I mean your synthetic bottled Cokes, Pepsis, Mountain Dews, whatever it might be, you know. Um, but cold pressed juice, it's interesting. Most people go, well, hang on, there's sugar in that, but no, there's no sugar in juice there's no sugars in an apple i don't know any farmer pouring bags of sugar on his apple tree orchid (laughs) (laughs) all an apple is is water and sunshine i love it think about it it's crystallized sun energy the sweetness is mother nature's sweetness there's no farmer pouring bags of sugar saying there's sugar in that 
So when you cold press a juice, you are squeezing like your own teeth, masticating all the um, insoluble fiber out and still absorbing the soluble fiber. See the body and the small intestines and the stomach can absorb within 20 minutes all your soluble fiber. Those are things like pectins, um, malic acid, anthocyanins, etc. But it doesn't activate the digestive system because you're not having insoluble fiber. That's like the psyllium husk, which it, it events, essentially just acts like a broom and it just pushes through. And you get a lot of health experts, shall we say, um, say, no, you need fiber, you need this, you need that. And it's true, we need fiber when we're eating. And it's very important to have fiber, especially if you're a meat eater, because meat has no fiber and it's not easily pushed through the digestive system with more food. So yeah, do it. And there's also the conversation between smoothies versus juices. But I think I've cleared that up with the definitely soluble and insoluble fiber. So with a smoothie, you're still receiving all this insoluble fiber that the body's gonna have to work to eliminate. See, there are four elimination channels. There's defecation, urination, perspiration, and respiration. I'm starting to think there might be five. Ewax. Because <laughs> ever since I've gone you know, practically vegan now, it's, I, I practically have no earwax. It's fascinating. I'm the same. It's funny. Yeah. Now that I do think of it, it is funny. Yeah. So your job when you're, you know, in life is to help your four eliminatory channels open up and allow toxins and waste to come out of those. So if you are fasting, you know, you have an easier time eliminating all of the toxins out of your body. Unreal. And you've got to help that, of course, with certain tips and protocols and tactics. But it's important to, um, to, you know, to get back to your question. Sugary, what activates the you know, digestive system? It can be um, man-made um, things and foods, um, of course. Well, you're not going to eat anyway, right? But like, you know, man-made Cokes, like I said, um, black coffee, tea, um, herbal tea is fine and cold pressed juices are fine even like a centrifugal style juicer you know there's breville style yeah even that's fine but unfortunately the nutrients are really dissipated after like 20 minutes and you're drinking dead liquid all the you know oxidization has occurred so that's why cold pressed juicing lasts for three days and it's fantastic for your health um, and water of course always have water and what types of water because i know you that you can get different strains of water, alkalized water, tap water. What's what's best Oof. for the fasting? Say, I know that's a whole nother can of yeah. words that we can open up, but in the short term, what what's best for for that? How far deep down the rabbit hole? Do you <laughs> <go this time? laughs> like it's for the sake of the short answer, just drink water. If you drink a month's worth of just, you know tap water from your local city you're doing less damage there than having a coke per month so i'm fine with people just drinking water in fact the more water they drink the healthier they're going to be now if you really want to go down the rabbit hole in this question definitely you want to remove your toxic chemicals in water as far as i know rain that falls down from the sky which is our clean water doesn't contain fluoride, nor chlorine, nor arsenic, nor lead, 
nor a whole bunch of other dozen chemicals. And I'm sure we've all been out in the rain running in it as kids and you put your tongue out to the sky or even collect a jar of it and it just tastes so good for you. That's beautiful water to enjoy. I love that water. So if you can get your hands on rainwater, fantastic, do it. But since most of us in our modern cities are drinking our tap water and you really want to tackle this problem, I really suggest investing in a machine that takes away fluoride and chlorine because chlorine's job is to destroy bacteria in water. So chlorine destroys bacteria. So if you drink chlorine, you're drinking a chemical which destroys your gut bacteria. So that actually is negative for the health. So that's why we need to have probiotics like kombucha, sauerkraut, to add good gut bacteria to us. Um, and obviously no one wants you know lead or arsenic in their water as well too, right? When you say it that way, people are like, no, no way, but that's actually what happens. But isn't fluoride good for our teeth? <laughs> They say, if you were to dig deep, you'd find the history of fluoride that it actually came from a dentist in America. I believe, hang on, going back on my memory now. Um, He owned a share in an aluminium factory and he convinced the government of the time that the toxic aluminium waste from that production was needed to strengthen teeth. And that's where it stuck. Now, everyone says, no, but look at people that aren't fluoridated in their water and look at their teeth and look at people that. And I said, you're right. You're absolutely right. Tell me how bad the teeth are in Africa again. Tell me all those Africans that eat beans and vegetables. How bad are their teeth right now? Oh, but but they've got a good diet. Exactly. I haven't seen a dentist in eight years. How's my teeth, Matt? Perfect. Pristine. (laughs) Um, we, We don't need it. What we definitely also don't need is our, you know, Cokes and our sugars and our McDonald's and our KFC and our anything away from our mother nature. Amazing. Mother nature's the real authority. Truth is the real authority. No one can convince me mother nature's wrong. How? She's looked after us and nurtured us for, you know, the Aboriginals have been here now 80,000 years. Over 80,000 years she's looked after us. Why would she turn on us now and say, no, 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 your water now needs chlorine and it now needs... It doesn't. Go, go. (laughs) Perfect, perfect way to sum that all up for us, Clint. Now, I understand there are a few different strains and stages of fasting. For people that are interested in fasting, what are those and, and what do they entail? So when you say strains, what do you mean? So like your juice fasting, your water fasting, your... Ah, yes. Yeah. Different types of fasting include exactly what you've just said. So Don Tolman talks about the three methods of fasting. There is a fast way, a faster way, and a fastest way. You can fast just on one type of food. You can just eat watermelon for like 90 days. And then you can step it up and do a juice fast where you juice all your fruits and vegetables and turn that into a liquid and just have that. And then finally, you can also water fast where you just have water like I've done for 20 days. 
Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's the three main types. Yep. Then they also have some umbrella types of intermittent fasting. The actual, the Korean, South Korean Olympic team discovered intermittent fasting and the benefits for their ice skaters. And they got so much benefit from intermittent fasting. That's only eating from a certain window during the 24-hour day period. Most people will intermittent fast from around about 10 a.m. to around about 6 p.m. or midday to 8 p.m. And you stop eating after, say, 8 p.m. And you don't eat again until the following, say, midday. And I've done that regularly uh, last year. And I feel fantastic for it. You get so much clarity. You're so efficient with what you do. And so eating doesn't become a, you know how we talked about the notion of taking time? Eating becomes that sacred ritual again and an offering to the house, the abode that we live in. Summed it up perfectly there, mate. And I can definitely vouch for the intermittent fasting module through my personal training course that we're always telling us that we need to fuel the body to be able to exercise. And since for the first maybe six months after my course and after I was qualified, I was telling my clients, always have a banana before you train, even if they're at 5 a.m., make sure you're having a banana just so you've got that fuel. But our body has all that, like all the fuel on it that we need to be able to survive for that for that moment. And listening to your body is such an important aspect, which we can go down for that, down further into that as well. But I think my training in particular has excelled through the roof since I've started training on an empty stomach. Yeah. It's because of HGH, uh, for those who don't know, human growth hormone. So actually, what I've learned from the Tolmans is that if you fast for 48 hours on water, your HGH levels increase 2,000%. And I tested it out. I wanted to try. So as I I am a seeker, I just wanted to explore that. And the the experience of that is is impressive. me personally, I get a lot of benefits from intermittent fasting, but I, I've done it twice now for the HGH levels and it's fascinating what the body goes through. Um, we are all conditioned to believe we need that fuel for source, but what's our number one fuel source? It's air. If we don't breathe, we're dead. You know, We need it within three minutes or our brains are dead and our cells need more air than they do water. And water's our second health principle. Without water, you're dead within a couple of weeks. If, if, if that, right? Maybe days. Um, and then finally, it's food. We all know that we can live without food for months. And I've been proving that for uh, a month today. So 30 days today. Um, and how do I, am I dying? No, you look honestly <laughs> the pinnacle of health. And I said that as soon as I walked in and, and met you for the first time. So the proof is in the pudding there. And that's this week's dose of Euphoria. Connect with myself and the Euphoria Health community on Instagram or Facebook at Euphoria Health. Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala, And remember, don't settle for anything less than Euphoria. Euphoria.